Well, please open your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to uh, share just a couple reasons why I selected this passage for this morning. The first reason is that my first expositional sermon that I ever preached at the Master's Seminary came from this chapter. And frankly, it wasn't a very good sermon. Um, I am very um, fortunate that I had gracious professors and uh, brothers in the Lord who helped me. And though I had preached a number of times prior to going to seminary, and I thought I was preaching expositional sermons and digging really deep, um, I, I found out otherwise. And, and so... I needed to cling to my training. The second reason that I was inclined to preach the text of Proverbs 3, because it contains a few of my life verses, verses that are close to my heart. And um, God has used uh, verses in this chapter that have impacted and shaped the person that I am. And so I wanted to, to preach something that um, I valued and something that continues to have a tremendous impact on my life. And I find Proverbs to be fascinating. I love them. They're gems. They're poignant. They're practical. A third reason that I believe the Lord led me to preach from Proverbs is to encourage you. I want you to know that I'm a man who is going to cling to the Lord for wisdom. I am going to rely solely upon Him for his help and his advocacy as guidance as a leader is also the heartbeat of your elders to do the very same as they discern how CBC continues to grow forward. Both life and ministry decisions demand wisdom. And so it's fitting to set our minds on God's faithful provision of it this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. A number of the Bible's 66 books contain Proverbs. The Psalms, the Epistles, the Prophets. But the majority and the collection of Proverbs is found in this book, hence the name. Proverbs are very condensed forms of truth, which normally require lengthy explanations. But in reality, they're straight and to the point. And one theologian had this to share. He said, reading a couple chapters of Proverbs is a lot like having a conversation with somebody who responds with a one-liner. You know, you ever had those conversations, right? You ask them, you went on a trip for two weeks and you were gone for so long. And how, you know, how, it was great. Yeah, it sets the stage, doesn't it? It was, it was great. And um, typically, uh, uh, the, the, the majority, I, I wanted to say, of Proverbs are 
written by Solomon, who happened to record our text for us this morning, but there were other men who were led by the Holy Spirit to record. Um, King Lemuel, Agur, um, King Hezekiah's men, and many unknown sages also recorded them. And though wisdom in the form of Proverbs in the ancient Near East was um, commonplace in the culture, what's important for us to take note of is that whatever the Spirit of God inspired these ancient writers to record became part of the Word of the Lord. And this means that these Proverbs took on a greater importance. They became authoritative. They became binding as they became a part of God's divine will. And the title of today's message is Treasuring Wisdom, Her Reality and Reputation. And we're going to spend our time answering one specific question. How does God want believers to treasure his wisdom? Since most of us in the room aren't pirates, and dressing up for Halloween doesn't count, I wanted to take a moment just to define what I meant by the word treasure, okay? Not a word that we hear very often in our English vernacular anymore. By treasure, I mean to value it appropriately so that we can apply it spiritually. And in Matthew 6.21, Jesus expressed this in his own words. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts always reveal what we treasure. And God wants us to treasure his wisdom appropriately. Ephesians 5.17, God's word says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so there's a direct correlation between wisdom and the will of God, right? He's commanding us not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of the Lord is, this is also in the context of walking in wisdom in Ephesians chapter 5. Wisdom must be applied spiritually. And so when we're talking about treasuring wisdom, we're talking about the value of it being done appropriately so that it can be applied spiritually to our everyday lives. And so how does God want you and I to do this? God gives us some specific ways in Proverbs chapter 3 and our and our uh, opening four Proverbs. First, God wants us to treasure wisdom's reality. Wisdom provides certain blessings that really only God can provide. Wisdom also protects us from the follies of this world and it safeguards our testimony. So secondly, God wants us to treasure wisdom's reputation. And we'll take a look at that in verses three and four. And God's word is going to help us see both of these points more clearly this morning. And so let's tackle the text together. Point number one, treasure wisdom's reality. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And here Solomon begins another proverbial section with the address, my son. And the expression, my son, is used over two dozen times throughout the 31 chapters of Proverbs. And you might be inclined to ask the question, why? And so I want to be a help. And, and over the course of my study 
I found a very concise explanation that's had this to say, and I want to share it with you. The most explicit proverbial setting in the ancient Near East was found in the family. Ancient fathers instructed their sons using this literary form. Those familiar with wisdom literature have seen the father-son formula used on a regular basis, and I know that we all have. In Israel, instructions repeatedly used the formula, listen, my son. And though the term father may be a technical term for teacher, the father was the one who taught his children his trade, his faith, excuse me, his wisdom. And this is actually why you don't see the word daughter uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. The implication of instruction in the ancient Near East was that it would be for the entire family. And so how can we express this in modern terms? This was the most intense and thorough form of homeschooling possible. The father gave oversight to all those in his household. And as was custom, the the father's trade was typically passed down to the sons. But he also had an impact on the faith that was shared, the, the wisdom that influenced everyone in the entire family, and the impact that it had on his family shaped them for all the years ahead. God's proverbial call to the parents of Israel, specifically fathers, was to homeschool their children. And allow me to qualify what God's word is saying. Not my position on whether families homeschool or use public school or private schools to educate their kids. And as they say in the South, I really don't have a dog in that fight. I don't. I have seen all three settings used by the Lord and godly parents raise godly children at home, educating their children at home, both in public school and in private school as well. But what we do see in Proverbs were fathers superintended, directed by the Holy Spirit to cry out God's instruction to their families. And if you desire a more intense description of what this was supposed to look like for Israelite men and their families, we're going to have a chance to look at this passage a little bit later in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And after Solomon gives the My Son address, he follows it with two commands in this opening verse. And the first command is not to forget his teaching. And as Solomon instructed his family, and as God the Father ultimately instructs us as sons and daughters in the Lord this morning, there's a takeaway that we need to see. Treasuring wisdom's reality and looking at this verse helps us to know and understand something very important, and that's this, that we're all spiritually forgetful. I know that's going to come as a shock to everybody in the room, right? Did you know you were spiritually forgetful? Some of you had no idea that you were. And if you don't think that you're spiritually forgetful, then you could be prideful. And that's, another, I got, that's a whole other sermon. I'll have to preach on another time. But no, no, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Listen, our fallenness and forgetfulness go hand in hand. Fallenness and forgetfulness go hand in hand. And it's not ironic that Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk on this planet, according to 1 Kings 4.30, who had all this wisdom, faced 
the same child-rearing challenges that we face, those of us who are parents in the room and those who will be parents down the road will face. Came home from work one day and I noticed that Victoria was discouraged and I asked her um, what was wrong and she said, Lydia! She said, I, I keep instructing her and I keep um, telling her um, how to honor um, us and, and, and shepherd her with understanding and she's just, she's not obeying. She's not listening. Well, there were a couple things that God allowed us to learn that day. One was that Lydia, okay, she's only three years old and so there's a a lot of maturing and, and growth that's going to need to take place. But the other was God's welcoming call to the world of parenting. And godly parenting means godly reminding. For all the young people in the service today who might still be living at home, if I could just share something that might encourage you, we all need reminders. And we're fallen and we're forgetful. And so when your parents are in a a Christ-magnifying way trying to remind you to do something, whether it's honoring them in a specific way or showing deference to your brothers or sisters, whatever it might be, receive it with grace. And that you're not alone. All of God's people are spiritually forgetful, and all of us need the reminders. And the Old Testament allows us to see, doesn't it, just how, you ever just struck how spiritually forgetful Israel was when you're reading through, and you're just like, oh my goodness, are, are, are you kidding me? This again? But God just instructed you like two chapters back, what's, what's going on? I know that I've looked at Israel in that regard, And it's always helpful to remember that it's spelled with the letter I. (laughs) It's a good reminder for me. And after you read through Deuteronomy, you can see firsthand throughout, and there's a couple chapters I'll highlight for you. Deuteronomy 8, uh, chapters 9 and 16 and 24. And I wanted to go there because the the second giving of the law. um, um, But there's other chapters as well as other books that God used to keep drawing Israel's attention back to the instruction that they had been previously given. And this is exactly what Solomon was led to do proverbially when he said, when he said my son, do not forget my teaching. And the word translated teaching in this verse really means the sum of my teaching. It wasn't one uh, command that he had in mind, but it was the collection or the accumulation of what he had been sharing with his household. And God wants us to treasure wisdom's reality. But there's a second command in verse 1 that he desires us to fully understand as well. And it says this, But let your heart keep, or this Hebrew word can be translated, keep watch, guard, protect my commandments. Let your heart keep watch, guard, protect my commandments. This verse blitzed me. 
And yes, I do have a football past, and so I may occasionally say things that are, are related to um, illustrations on the football field, like let's, I think I already said, let's tackle the text, or uh, don't fumble your Bible, uh, certainly no roughing the pastor, but, um, um, I, I, but in football, a blitz is something that is totally expected that the defense does that the offense isn't prepared for. It just comes out of nowhere. And God used this verse to blitz me, both as a teacher and a learner of the word. God used this verse to faithfully serve me by reminding me that he wants my heart. He wants my heart to keep his commandments. And when we treasure wisdom's reality, it allows us to see something very important. This proverb provides the absolutely critical balance between the head and the heart. In the life of a believer, it's a perilous place to live to have the head informed and the heart unchanged. And this disturbed the Lord greatly as he dealt with the Pharisees on a regular basis. And it should disturb us greatly if we see evidence of this in our own lives. And I was convicted, even as I was writing this sermon, about the balance in my own life, or I should say the imbalance. And I had to ask myself, after the Lord blitzed me with this proverb, am I allowing both my head and my heart to be impacted by his instruction. God's instruction actually led me to repent of the days where I have been devoted in my head or devoted in my mind, but my motives have not been with God. My heart has been disengaged. And Head work and heart work both require effort. Both require great effort. But I think everyone in the room knows that heart work is hard work. I liken it to assembling a new piece of furniture. Have you ever purchased something that followed you home from Sam's Club or uh, that, that, that you bought and it came, okay, it's the computer desk that comes in the box? Like those, the, the computer desk, that, it's got all the hardware in it, but all the shelving and all the poles and everything is just all in this box that's about this thin. And you get it home and you, you have to dump it out and you, you make sure that all the pieces are there because you got to have all, all the, the parts, but it, it comes with the instructions. And if you bypass the instructions, well, then you're going to be in a, a world of hurt, but it, it, because it takes effort. It, it does take effort and energy to, to take the instructions out of that little plastic bag and to, to open it up and, and to read it and then to understand it. But it takes even a greater effort to apply, to engage in putting it all together, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, the instruction is a help and the instruction takes effort and understanding, but the challenge comes when you have to put it all together. And if you and I 
want to treasure the reality of wisdom, and I do, and I know that you do too, we need to honor the Lord and keep his commandments from the heart. And we have to be intentional when we do that. And God wants all believers to have this proverbial balance in our lives. And he desires that our hearts will be engaged. And Christ even affirms this in John 14, 15. He says something. You guys know, are familiar with this verse. He says, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. A genuine love for God fuels obedience. And a love for God fueled obedience for Old Testament saints. And a love for God fueled obedience for New Testament saints. And the reality is this, that only a justified heart will have the fuel to love and obey no matter which dispensation that you're in. I don't think we're going back to that dispensation. So we have, uh, well, that's, a, that's a, an eschatological um, conversation that for a later point. But every heart without justification through faith is as the scripture teaches, right? We get this. It's desperately wicked, more deceitful than all else, desperately sick. It will not seek God or have a heart for obedience to his commands in an unredeemed state. And how were Israelites redeemed in the Old Testament? They were justified through faith in God through the promise of Christ. And consequently, they were enabled to love God and obey God. And how are people in the church age redeemed? In the New Testament, they're justified through faith in the reality of Christ. And they're enabled to love God and obey Him. And our hearts only then can have a desire and a capacity to keep his commandments. And so we're asking the que- answering the question, how does God want you and I to treasure wisdom? And ironically, we're receiving instruction even at the moment. Yet the reality of wisdom should also burden our hearts that there could be someone in this room today that is simply receiving more information with an unchanged heart. And this is why we defined the word treasure at the beginning of the, the, the message. We said you had to value it appropriately so we can apply it spiritually. And attempting to treasure any aspect of wisdom before having a validated faith in Christ is idolatry. We have to value it appropriately so that we can apply it spiritually. And to apply it spiritually, we have to have spiritual life. We have to ask the the question, is my heart born again to love and live? To love God and to live out his commandments. Have I trusted completely in Christ alone for salvation? Have I filed spiritual bankruptcy and confessed that I had got nothing to offer and that it's by grace through faith alone in Christ? When did God the Father allow me to see that without the perfect righteousness of his son credited to, to my account that my soul was in eternal trouble? When did I repent and confess that I'm done living for myself in this world and declare that my desire is to live in faith for the Lord? 
And only those who have an established relationship with God through saving faith can treasure wisdom's reality appropriately and apply his commands spiritually. And, and, and this is a good encouragement. Let's not just test our heads, but let's make sure that we're testing our hearts from a faith standpoint according to 2 Corinthians 13.5, right? Well, let's get back to our passage. By treasuring wisdom's reality through the commands of verse 1, this also allows us to treasure wisdom's reality and celebrate the consequences of verse 2. Verse 2 says this, For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And God wants us to treasure the reality that wisdom prophets. And he allowed Israel to know that in his sovereignty, wisdom has a bearing first on the quantity of life or the measurement, and then secondly on the quality or the fullness of life. And so let's talk quantity and quality. And we'll start with, with quantity. Both expressions length of days and years of life speak to the quantity of time that treasuring wisdom's commands yields. And the word translated length here in this passage is the same word that's used in Genesis 6.15 when Noah was constructing the ark. They were talking about the length of the ark being 300 cubits. It's the exact same word used. Now most of us, when we hear the expression long days, and this is really what this this is saying, length of days, long days, it has a negative implication, doesn't it? Oh, I had a really long day, okay? But um, I want you to not think about it in, in that way. Um, I want you to, 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 to consider it from this perspective. Has anyone ever had just one of those days where you just had like a monster list of things that you needed to get done in, in that day, Right? <laughs> some of you are like that's every day in my life what are you talking about man but um but the, just those days where you're just like i know that i need uh, to be efficient this day and i have uh, a, a monster list that i need to complete i think most if not all of us in the room have had those days and when they occurred i have found myself saying i can't believe the day is almost over, and I'm looking at my incomplete list, and I say, and maybe you've said this too, I wish it was a little bit longer. Yeah. Israel was limited to the same 24-hour time frame that we are, yet Solomon's point is that treasuring wisdom and applying it appropriately will help yield the time needed. And there's a second phrase here, years of life, that also speaks to quantity. And Proverbs 3.16 states that long life is in wisdom's right hand. Wisdom yields, or as this verse shares at the end, it adds to, or it can also be translated, increases the quantity of life seen in the form of both long days and long years. And this is appropriate time to share that we're we're talking about Proverbs right here. These are maxims. These, they're, they're, they're general truths. And so um, they're not guarantees. God's sovereignty must always be factored in. Treasuring the reality of God's wisdom 
doesn't just have an impact on the quantity of a believer's life, but we'll see now that it also um, affects the quality of a believer's life. And this is such an amazing word that is translated in your English Bible, peace. The Hebrew word translated uh, peace is actually well known by many, and it remains um, as a, a common Orthodox Jewish greeting in the culture even to this day. It's the word shalom. This Hebrew word is loaded with meaning, but considering that our time is disappearing, let's boil it down. It, it means completeness, soundness, prosperity, peace. And so when the greeting was extended to a fellow Jew, it is the same as saying, God's peace be with you. God's prosperity be with you. God's soundness, God's completeness be with you. What a beautiful expression. And as God would have it, that expression is how he extends to those who treasure the reality of wisdom today. He extends that to us as well. And God ordained that it would give us a sense of completeness when we cling to it. And it provides the reality of peace when it's entrusted and, and, and it's trusted and we embrace it as a guide. Sign me up for that program, amen? Because let's, let's, let's consider the options. According to James 3, verses 15 through 18, there are only two types of wisdom available to us. Heavenly spiritual wisdom from God or demonic fallen wisdom of this world. And it saddens me to see so many people who are following the wisdom of this world and they're doing all that they can to extend their, their days and their years. You know, they're absolutely obsessed with fitness and um, they're obsessed with um, eating the, the, the perfect diet and um, exercise and fitness too, because that's not a bad thing. But they're, they're obsessed to the point of idolatry. And they have a constant obsession to live longer and retire earlier while avoiding stress at all costs. And the wisdom, or should I say the foolishness, of this world has no desire or no capacity to genuinely treasure what only the Lord can offer. I mean, think about it. The world is still trying to figure out which came first, the egg or the chicken. I mean, we have access to God's Word. And God's Word clearly says that He created animals first, not eggs. And there are a number of other ways that we appeal and we're blessed by the wisdom of this world as it provides clarity for us. Debates on creation are settled for us. Marriage is settled for us. And numerous other life issues as well. And since unbelievers don't have the clear wisdom of the Lord, their only option is the distorted pseudo-wisdom of this fallen world. And please know that I'm not encouraging us in any way, shape, or form to, to point the finger at the our, our fingers at the unbelieving world. Rather, I'm rejoicing 
and encouraging us all to treasure wisdom's reality. God has indeed rescued us, amen, from the domain of that counsel, from the domain of that darkness. Praise his holy name. And treasuring wisdom's reality should also light an evangelistic fire underneath our seat that wants us to um, realize that that could be us. That could be us. We could be that person. Maybe you were that person. And God saved you. And what about those who are still clinging to the wisdom of this world? Well, point number two is this, and we're going to have to move quickly because our time has uh, disappeared, apparently. What time do things usually end? What's that? When you're done. Oh, when, when I'm finished, the completed sermon, when you're finished, okay. Um, uh, point number two, God wants believers to treasure wisdom's reputation. Verse three and four say this, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And the layout of these verses, the layout is um, um, virtually identical to the layout of our first two verses in that the odd number verse, verse one provides the commands, okay? And the even number verses provide the consequences. And you'll see that all the way through Proverbs 3, verses one through 10. The odd verses providing the commands and the even verses providing the consequences. And the first command given is just like in Proverbs 3.1. It's a negative form instructing us what not to do. And the command means not to forsake or to desert. And for those of you with the um, ESV version, uh, extra change, no, I'm just kidding. Been using the NASB for a long time, but the ESV is a great, great translation. And I actually think that the rendering here in the ESV serves us so very well. The NASB uh, says the words kindness and truth, but um, the Hebrew words that are, are used are, are covenant terms that re- reflect a covenant loyalty to God, and they are probably better translated steadfast love and faithfulness. Is that what you have in your ESV? And here Solomon again pleads with his son to remember and internalize what he's being taught. And if we recall, he instructed him to do what in verse 1? Not to forget teaching. Not to forget the instruction. And here in verse 3, he instructs them, his family as well as his sons, his sons as well as everybody in his family, what I meant to say. Not to forsake steadfast love and faithfulness. And the language of the next two commands are where it starts to get pretty interesting. He then commands his son to bind them around his neck and write them on the tablet of his heart. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't remember the last time I overheard a conversation in parenting where they were talking about binding anything around their child's neck or writing on the tablet of their heart. It's a beautiful uh, expression, and, and, and we want to understand it. 
How do these commands relate to treasuring wisdom's reputation? Well, let's dig our cleats in and start by looking at passages where, oh, another football, sorry. Um, that's um, your shoes, okay? You got to dig your cleats down in the dirt, okay? And just get bracing and get settled. We want to consider um, help by looking at other, uh, just a couple other passages here that deal with the similar language. And so you don't need to turn there. I'll just read them for you. I want to share them. If you want to jot them down in your notes, you can check them out later. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 21 says this, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart tie them around your neck, okay? So now there's um, a a similarity, but um, um, we we do see some slight differences in the wording. Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3 shares this. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So there we get, so it's been bound to the heart. We've heard in two instances now, write on the tablet of your heart, okay? And our third and final passage, and the one that I think will be most helpful for us this morning, and the one that I alluded to earlier that we would visit, is in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, which says this. It's the Shema. This passage is known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. My reason for sharing these passages is to help us see that though this language seems um, uncommon to us or maybe in, in some ways unusual to us, this was very familiar language to Israelites' family. So much so that it even got taken out of context later on, and many of you already know this, that they created these little boxes that were called phylacteries, that they used um, pieces of leather, and they would actually tie them to their hands and, and, and tie them around their neck. God was providing a foundation for his people to treasure wisdom's reputation and the impact that it has on their testimonies. And he wanted them to see the bearing that it would indeed have on them as they lived as his chosen people, as they were the nation that people were watching. And frankly, the application is for us today. 
we got people watching us too, don't we? We do. I brought something because um, I wanted to show you, and many of the medical people in the room already know what I have in my hands, but for those that don't, and it's still dirty because um, this is a cervical collar that I wore for six weeks after my neck surgery. And um, had to wear it every day. Was tempted a lot to take it off. But I wanted to heal. Part of the reason I wanted to heal was because I wanted to be here as soon as I possibly could to visit. But when I look at this, when I look at this, it reminds me of a lot. Maybe you've had something similar where you've had to wear a brace or you've had to wear a cast or, or a splint. But I, I look at this and there's so many things. That, and in fact, it's, it's hard not to get emotional sometimes just looking at it because um, it was one of the greatest trials that I ever went through in my life. And m- my wife walked in that with me and shared that with me. And it's a reminder that I was afflicted. It was, it was a reminder of the struggle. It was a reminder of a lot of things that, frankly, there are many things that I I wouldn't care to remember. Medications, sleepless nights, great challenge. But I wanted to bring it today because you you know what it reminds me of? When I look at this, when I think about our passage today, It reminds me of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to me. And um, many of you have already seen that I do have a scar underneath my collar. I just pull it down right there from from my neck surgery. And um, I haven't put this on in a while. But I'm going to put it on. Oop, I just lost my mic. I can. And um, this is what I wore for six weeks. And I look a little different now than I did just a few moments ago, right? You notice the difference, I'm sure. But you know what? This is a great illustration for. The, the nation of Israel when they received Solomon's instruction. It's a great illustration for us today as we receive uh, God's instruction that there is something that is going to be seen, right? When, when um, we don't forget his teaching, when our hearts keep his commandments, when we continue to, when we bind um, um, these, these, these amazing covenantal words that God would have us understand has said in the Hebrew, um, his, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, okay? And um, God wants us to display that in our lives. God wants to live through us and display that to people in our lives. And there's, um, there's an expression that is both internal, and I'm going to take this off because I think some people are uncomfortable for me, just l- looking at it, and I think you, you got the point, but 
it's this, that there is something externally seen, right, when um, we, we don't let truth and kindness leave us. People, people see that externally through our actions and through our attitudes. And then there's also something that takes place that only God sees. And God sees what's going on internally. And God, again, uses this language to to inscribe the, the, the commands on the tablet of our heart. That it wouldn't just be seen externally, but it would be something that we were engaging our hearts internally as well. And this allows us, this allows us to produce what we see in verse 4 when it says you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And so the commands to bind both steadfast love and kindness around our necks and to write them on the tablets of our heart is, is um, I hope that this illustration is something that you remember, and um, I think it was, uh, I think, Victoria, if you remember, I, I, I remember reading this while I was wearing my neck brace, and it just helped me so much to, to, to relate because it was, it was constant, and it was something that um, marked his faithfulness. It marks also really uh, his protection as well. And in the end, the only treasure chest of God's wisdom The only treasure chest is God's wisdom. And it's proven. It's tested. It guards our testimonies. It, it, it allows us to be who he wants us to be before his people. And so um, I am out of time. And... Um, one of the things that I just would like to offer to you this week is to ask you to meditate on this verse because uh, verse 4 is really um, is established through the remainder of Proverbs chapter 3. That when we're treasuring wisdom, that it's not just um, uh, involved um, just in the reputation, but we'll also see it. And I hope to have an opportunity to continue preaching from Proverbs chapter 3 and maybe ha- uh, have a series um, starting in this chapter that, that will bless you. But I want you to uh, take this verse home with you. You're going to take your Bibles home with you. I know that. But take specifically this, this verse home and just spend some time before the Lord meditating on this verse. And in and, and, and one Rejoice in, in the favor. Rejoice in how he has um, shown up in immense ways in, in your life. And how he has blessed you and encouraged you. But then also consider um, the good repute or reputation that he wants you to have before who? Before God and before who else? Before man. Both. Right? The testimony 
is to both. I hope that this morning blessed you. I hope his word encourages you and that you're able to take verse 4. And our time is up. And um, I'm going to pray. And I I think that means that the worship team is going to come up and lead us as soon as I say let's pray. Is that how that works? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're a gracious God. And we just want to thank you for... Um, allowing us to see the the value of your wisdom and those of us who have been walking with you for an extended period of time and even those that might even be walking with a short time have already seen the ways in which your wisdom uh, blesses the way in which it offers a reality that is in such stark contrast of where we would be if we were without you, without your wisdom. And we thank you for allowing us to have an established relationship with you through Christ and for um, allowing us to have a connection with the mighty counselor his wisdom, his instruction. And Lord, we do desire to have reputations that honor you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any way that um, anything that is going on in our lives, whether it would be connected with other people or maybe just something done in secret, that you would convict us and that you would remind us as you have time and time again that It's not just the external things that people see, but that you look straight to our heart. And we're so blessed and encouraged by that. We want to thank you. And so, Lord, we give the remainder of this day to you. We ask that you would um, encourage our hearts about all that you're doing through this church, through this local body that comes together to rally around your word on Sundays and then scatters to take it to their families, to their co-workers, and to their friends. Bless us and encourage us this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.